The arctic regions of Faerun feel the frigid grasp of Auril as she looks to be constant fixtures in the minds of the people who live there. She and her clergy look to be placated or else the lands here face the dangers of ice and snow. I am Ben Dignan, and welcome once again to Religion in the Realms. I addressed this at the conclusion of the last episode, but for the sake of not delving into spoilers for the recently released Rime of the Frost Maiden, I am foregoing any mention of anything to do with Auril from that module. What I intend on doing is looking through Rime of the Frost Maiden following this episode and putting together a bonus episode that will touch on anything this new module discusses about Auril and her faith. That way you can opt into the episode and hear potentially story-related material that would be considered spoilers. Titles Aurel goes by the following titles. Frost Maiden, Ice Dawn, The Cold Goddess, Lady Frostkiss, Mistress of Ice, Snow Mistress, and The Frost Sprite Queen. Aurel goes by the following alias. Sakuruk. Among the Aleutians. Portfolio and Domains Aurel's portfolios are Winter and Cold. Aurel's suggested domains for 5th edition are Nature and Tempest. Appearance and Manifestations When portrayed, Aurel is said to have the same appearance as that of her avatars. To that end, Aurel has two known avatars. The first is known as the Frost Maiden. This avatar is a lithe, blue-skinned terror of ice and fury. Her hair is let down and is shock-white in color. She wears a white lace gown lined with frost. This gown always seems to be constantly billowing. The Frost Maiden carries a plus three ice axe that she calls the Ice Maiden's Caress, though her preference is to cast spells rather than to use this weapon. The Frost Maiden avatar has been the most frequently seen and recorded avatar of Aurel down on the Prime Material. The second avatar form is known as Ice Dawn. Ice Dawn is described as a haughty, silent, and impassive noble woman. She is dressed in hooked armor made of opaque blue ice. She wears an ornate crown atop her head as she seemingly glides atop the ground. As she moves about, Ice Dawn leaves a 20-foot-wide rime of ice trailing in behind her. Any living thing caught in the wake of this rime has the potential to instantly die. Being within 20 feet of Ice Dawn is no less harrowing, either. Each living creature has to save against freezing to death on the spot for every round they spend near her. If an individual is touching metal in any way while within 20 feet of Ice Dawn, they suffer cold damage simply through the shock of touching this chilled metal. Any liquid within 20 feet is automatically frozen, and potions themselves have a chance of being frozen if they fail the necessary save. Metal and stone can become so cold so as to shatter if attacked or dropped onto the ground. Aurel has two known manifestations. The first manifestation is a blue-white radiance that leaves a trail of frost in behind it as it flies about. Aurel's malicious laugh can be heard from this manifestation as it emits cold all around it. Her second manifestation is an emotionless face that forms out of the frost before a given audience. The hair around this face whips about the cold air this manifestation blows out from it. This manifestation is used by Aurel for three reasons. 1. To speak with her worshippers and her clergy directly. 2. To grant an item or boon to her worshippers and or clergy. She usually does so by breathing such things out of the face's mouth. And three, to kill one of her worshippers and or clergy. The manifestation does this by kissing the individual with their intensely cold mouth. The individual must then save against death magic. Aro can communicate her favor or disfavor through the appearance of various creatures. These include water elementals, ice elementals, various undead, winter wolves, frost giants, and other creatures who live in arctic environments. Abilities The Frost Maiden avatar unsurprisingly is incapable of accessing fire spells of any sort. 
Though the spells she casts that deal with frost, ice, and cold deal triple damage, and creatures suffer a negative 3 penalty to any saves they make against these spells. Almost all the nature-based spells she has involve freezing or causing death to natural life, save the spells she has to summon arctic animals and beasts to her cause. The touch of either the frost maiden's body or her gown is enough to leave a permanent translucent blue scar called a frost brand. This scar deals cold damage to the individual or object. The frost brand scar is not just skin, but stone and wood as well. The Ice Maiden avatar appears to cast no spells. That isn't to say she does not have access to them, just it would seem that any casting by the Ice Maiden has never been recorded. However, the Ice Maiden can turn and redirect all six level spells and lower back at their casters. Any Aurelian clergy member who finds themselves in her presence freezes internally and fatally. Personal History As I go through this episode, you will hear me make reference to Dragon Magazine issue 367. This particular issue contains a large amount of material important to Aurel. In particular, this issue mentions that at the dawn of time, Aurel slew a primordial being known as Durbagal. The heart of this entity was then reformed into her own personal throne room in her divine realm known as Winter's Hall. I was not able to find any mention of Durgable elsewhere. So, much like a few things from 4th edition lore, this bit of lore never seems to have been developed any further. In another throwaway line found in Dragon issue 367, it is mentioned that Aurel may also in fact be the Unseelie Fae's queen, the queen of air and darkness herself. The Fae creatures who reside out in her divine realm hold this to be true. This belief was later quashed by Ed Greenwood, however. Ed states in a tweet that I linked in the episode description that the queen of air and darkness masquerades as Aurel in order to maintain her own influence on Toril. Whereas Aurel allows us, since it ultimately benefits her to have more importance and influence within the realms as it is. Talos has been a deity in the Forgotten Realms since the birth of Toril. Since the publication of Forgotten Realms material in the 1st edition up to 4th edition, it is regularly mentioned that he has encroached heavily on Aurel's influence in Faerun. When this encroachment began to happen, I do not know. It is likely when the Gods of Fury first formed their alliance but even the period or year of the establishment of this alliance is not even hinted at. Regardless, Aurel saw the need to remind people during winter and in northerly regions that she is the dominant power there. As a result, the winters were far fiercer and far colder than they otherwise would be. Following the Spell Plague and during the 4th edition era that preceded the Second Sundering, an event called the Stormstar Queen occurred. This event revealed Talos to be just an aspect of the orc god Grumsh. From there, Talos was banished from his own plane called Fury's Heart in the World Tree cosmology. The remaining gods of Fury, being Aurel, Malar, and Umberly, formed a new group called the Three Furies. Fourth edition lore being as weird and differentiated as it is, the Three Furies would come to reside in Sylvanas' dominion of the Deep Wilds. From what I can gather from what I've seen on the internet, the Stormstar Requiem event was supposed to be fleshed out far more than just a couple mentions in a couple Dragon Magazine articles. However, with 4th edition being as short-lived as it was, the writers never got around to fleshing it out any further. Now, following the second sundering, Talos is back. Hopefully when I cover Talos in the next episode, I will unearth what exactly that means for him and those who once felt under him, like Aurel. Perhaps the Gods of Fury have been reformed. Perhaps the Three Furies want nothing to do with Talos. Maybe it's even touched on Rhyme and the Frostmaiden. Aurel herself is no stranger to encroaching on the territories of other deities, however. Aurel began to prey upon the demigod Ulutiu in 3rd edition era Faerun. Elutio lies asleep willingly in the Astral Sea. In this endless slumber, he was an easy target for Aurel. She began to siphon away his power in the hopes of usurping his portfolios and masquerading as him, all the while providing powers and spells to Elutio's faithful. After the spell plague, Aurel also managed to siphon off some of the power of Erdri Feanya, the elven goddess of the sky, and Grumsh. 
Though I'm willing to speculate that any power taken at this time from Grumption Airdrie was it. Nokara is the divine daughter of Auril in Thrym or Thrym, depending on how you want to pronounce that, the god of the frost giants. She is an attractive frost giant with blue flames for hair. Personality In terms of her deific power level, Auril first is listed as a demi-power in first edition sources. From 2nd edition and into 3.x sources, she began to be listed as a lesser Faerunian deity. This I interpreted to be a result of her siphoning of the powers from Ulutiu. I assume she still remains a lesser deity in 5th edition as well. Aurel is a neutral evil goddess. Though she had a brief switch to chaotic evil for 4th edition, that being because in 4th edition there was no neutral evil in 4th edition's, edition's alignment system. But this alignment was changed back to neutral evil in 5th edition. Aurel is a volatile, uncaring, and narcissistic deity. One of her chief ways of toying with the people of Faerun is unleashing terrible snowstorms and terrible cold temperatures on them. From there, she hopes individuals get stranded and lost out in her storms. Then she creates illusions to tempt her victims with visions of shelter and warmth. Personal Realms In the Great Wheel cosmological model used for 1st edition, 2nd edition, and now is the assumed model for 5th edition, Forgotten Realms, Auril resides on the first layer of the split Chaotic Neutral and Chaotic Evil outer plane of Pandemonium. Pandemonium lies in between the Chaotic Neutral plane of Limbo and the Chaotic Evil plane of the Abyss. Auril's realm, known as Winter's Hall, is found on the first layer of Pandemonium, known as Pandesmos. Pandemonium is composed of what seems to be an infinite cave system dug throughout the few layers that encompass this plane. Throughout Pandemonium, a constant gust of wind is heard. A vast majority of those who spend significant time here are driven mad from the unceasing wind. Whether the whales heard on the wind and pandemonium are real or imagined is up to debate. The strength of this wind also varies from place to place with little rhyme or reason. Where there are sporadic refuges and settlements in pandemonium, the wind is just a breeze, but still carries that eerie howl. In other places, it is enough to carry a person off their feet. The plane is also suffused by an unnatural darkness. Magical light might seem like a solution versus open flames fighting against the wind, but even then in some areas the darkness is enough to even absorb magical light. The first layer, Pandesmos, is the most hospitable and most populated of all the layers of Pandemonium. But truthfully, that is not saying much. The layer is still a wasteland the vast majority of the time. The tunnels and caverns here are far larger and wider than any of the other layers. The wind is calmest on this layer as well, though it is still very strong. Now we're going to get into a confusing discussion about potentially shared realms between given deities. Loki, much like other Norse deities, has two divine realms, one in Asgard and one elsewhere in the Outer Plains. In Pandesmos, Loki's realm is called the Winter's Hall. Aurel's realm bears the same name. It is not expressly called out whether these two powers share this realm. On the off chance that they do, I will describe the characteristics of Loki's Winter Hall, as it is nothing is said of Aurel's Winter Hall in any 1st edition or 2nd edition sources. Winter's Hall is a realm covered in snow. It is buffeted with blizzards almost unceasingly. All sorts of wolves and wolf-like creatures hunt here, their howls always being drowned out by the strong winds. The Winter Hall itself is much like a Norse drinking hall. Though frost giants drink their stolen mead while wolves and winter wolves wait under the tables for any scraps. The hall is a rough-hewn wooden structure covered in soot from the fireplaces that are ever burning. Since the Great Wheel is the soon model for 5th edition, I am speculating Aurel is on pandemonium. Though there is always the chance she has sought out a realm elsewhere. In the World Tree model used in 3rd edition Forgotten Realms, Aurel resides on the plane of Fury's heart. It is a desolate place with little life and little redeeming qualities. It is a plane of destructive weather and phenomena. 
fitting given that this is where all the gods of fury live. Winter's Hall is the realm Aural resides in. This is a frigid realm covered in ice and snow. It is said to be colder than any place elsewhere in the plains. Here Aural has a palace made of morphed and shaped wind walls, the wind of which is terribly cold. Aural herself sits upon her throne made of frozen blue fire. In the World Axis model used for 4th edition Forgotten Realms, Aural came to reside in Sylvanus's domain known as the Deep Wilds, out in the Astral Sea. No buildings here have been built on this unspoiled expanse of wilderness. Aural's realm here is called the Land Under Eternal Ice, though she does still reside in Winter's Hall as her own personal palace. The realm is extensively documented in Dragon Magazine issue 367. I will describe some of the unique elements found in Aural's realm, then touch on the Winter Hall specifically. The land under Eternal Ice might look like most to be any prime material Arctic environment. However, this is a land with the coldest climate likely across all the dominions out in the Astral Sea. Here one can find Lornur, also known as the Ice Whale Shallows. Umberly granted a portion of her blood seed to Aural. And within this area, two massive icebergs made of blood float menacingly. The Howl Frost Plains is a snow-covered tundra region where mammoths and saber-toothed tigers roam. Finally, there is the Nightfall Glacier, a region of bitter cold and treacherous voyages. This glacier is constantly shifting and reforming itself. This causes fissures and chasms to form suddenly. Winter's Hall, much like it has already been described, is made of wind and ice. It floats across the deep wilds, bringing winter and chill with it. It resembles a massive upturned iceberg, 5,000 feet in diameter at its base, and is almost as just as tall at 5,000 feet. The inside is labyrinthine with many different corridors and halls. 20,000 damned spirits and servants dwell inside. On the bottom side of the hall is an area known as the Nest, where all sorts of various airships and astral jammers are docked. The promenade is the last work network of pathways at the core of the hall that Aurel's partitioners use, lit by trapped will-o'-wisps. The Lyceum of Frozen Shadow is Aurel's throne room. Here she holds court sitting upon her throne made of frozen blue fire. For the sake of brevity, I'm just giving an overview of both the Winter Hall and the Land Under Eternal Ice. It is well worth your time to check out Dragon Magazine issue 367 if you wish to know any more. Allies and Allegiances As I discussed earlier, Aural is or was part of a group of evil nature deities who are called the Gods of Fury collectively. The leader and superior in the Gods of Fury was or is Talos. Talos has aided Aural, though Talos always stole away all the glory for himself in the event of a victory in the past. Their relationship was cordial enough, but Talos was unconcerned about encroaching on Aural's portfolio continuously. Now, with the reemergence of Talos post-Second Sundering, Talos's membership and relationship within the Gods of Fury remains unstated. Aural's other peers, either in the Gods of Fury or Three Furies, are Malar and Umberly. Aural and Malar hold nothing but disdain for one another, but they still remain part of this group. Aurel and Umberly have a civil enough relationship, civil enough for evil deities as it is. The two goddesses know that they can reliably call on one another should the need arise. Enemies Aurel's chief foes are Armonitor, Suni, Shantia, Shialia, Uthgar, and the presently dead Moander. Shantia is said to always be in a constant state of conflict with Aurel. Understandable given both goddesses' dispositions and portfolios. Uthgar is in open conflict with Aurel since she now stands as the patron deity of the Elk tribe and stole away their worship from Uthgar. Avatar and Deity Stablocks The second edition Stablock for Aurel's avatars can be found in the Face and Avatar supplement. Symbols In the Faerunian pantheon, Aurel's faith has two known holy symbols. The first, which is described up to until the second sundering, her symbol is described as a white snowflake centered on a white bordered gray diamond. 
Her second and most recently documented holy symbol is a six-pointed snowflake. There's not really much difference between the two symbols, and they likely are used interchangeably in my mind. Central Dogma From Faiths and Pantheons, a third edition supplement. Quote, Cover all the lands with ice. Quench fire wherever it is found. Let in the winds and the cold. Cut down windbreaks and chop holes in walls and roofs that my breath may come in. Work darkness to hide the cursed sun, so that the chill that Aural brings may slay. Take the life of an arctic creature only in great need, but slay others at will. Make all favor and fear the frost maiden. Revere the cold goddess and sing her praises into any chill breeze or winter wind. Do not raise your hand against any other cleric of Aural. End quote. Presence of the Faith Aural is worshipped by druids, some frost giants, people who live in arctic regions of Faerun, and rangers. Those who follow Aural tend to be chaotic neutral, lawful neutral, or neutral evil in alignment. Much like other evil deities, Aural is worshipped out of fear. The common folk who fear her attempt to placate both her and her faith through various means and favors. For the most part, Aural is a regional deity whose influence is felt primarily in the Arctic and regions with colder climates throughout the continent. To that end, she is almost completely unknown in the southern regions of Faerun, where it is far warmer. Even still, the occasional Aurelian clergy member can be found roaming south now and again. Those who genuinely worship Aural are typically those whose livelihoods are dependent on winter, or those who really love winter. Regionally, the Northmen raiders of the Moonshays hold a particular strong affinity for Aurel. Among the Earthgard tribes, the Elk tribe has abandoned their worship of beast spirits in favor of the worship of Aurel. Terrors are the savage creatures who live amongst the remote slopes and passes in far eastern Faerun. Aurel is held in high regard by these creatures. Now we'll turn our attention to the three recorded Chosen of Aurel. Iroclea is presently a deceased chosen of Aurel who resides with the Frost Maiden in her divine realm. Iroclea has a long history in Toral. In the 6th century Dale Reckoning, Iroclea pronounced herself to be Aurel's greatest cleric. She gave herself the title of the Ice Queen as well. Between 632 and 633 Dale Reckoning, Iroclea targeted the harmonious city of Myth Ondath. You might recall me touching on Myth Ondath back in the Eldath episode. Utilizing an artifact known as the Gatekeeper's Crystal, she managed to bring down the city. But at the same time, she destroyed her own forces. Much time would pass before Iroclea emerged to do damage once more. In 1373 Dale Reckoning, alliance was made between Iroclea and the Cult of the Dragon. With the cult's aid, Iroclea conquered the Great Glacier and she marched on Sossel. Word got out that Iroclea intended to betray the Cult of the Dragon. Coincidentally, an adventuring party arrived to do battle with the cult and Iroclea, and in a three-way battle, Iroclea was killed. Iroclea is later mentioned in Dragon Magazine 367 to be patrolling Aurel's realm in her afterlife, hunting down any spies who make their way into Aurel's realm. Aurel has two other chosen down on Toral. Artist Simber, who can be found in Tomb of Annihilation, the 5th edition module, who is the current holder of the Ring of Winter, and Hedron Arnsfirth. Hedron attempted to conquer ten towns in Icewind Dale in 1485 Dale Reckoning, but lost. Presently, she is a Deathlock White. Without going into spoilers, you can find her whereabouts in the Tales from the Yawning Portal 5th edition adventure book. Hierarchy and Structure of the Clergy The overall organization of the Aurelian faith is loose and informal. Many of the clergy wander about northern Faerud independently. The clergy is predominantly female in numbers. Most clergy go by the title of Hand of Aurel, Ice Breath, or Embracers, depending on what edition source book you refer to. These titles are attributed to them while they are out wandering and traveling the world. Though at Aurelian temples, they will use formal titles representative of their rank within the clergy. These ranks in ascending order are Postulant, 
Voter or Votra, depending on how it is pronounced. Icewind, Storm Sister or Storm Brother, which is the most numerous title amongst the clergy. Frost Touch, Lady or Lord Cold, Lady or Lord Deep Winter, Lady or Lord Cold Circle, and High Hand of Ice. Aurelian clergy are immune to the cold, seemingly able to move about in the snow and bathe in frigid waters with no ill effects. They go about in light clothing, even in the most treacherous of winter conditions. The clergy of Arl take a vow of celibacy and remain emotionally distant from people, even when in their off hours away from their duties. Responsibilities and Duties of the Faithful The clergy of Arl are responsible for keeping the threat of Arl present to the folk of Faerun fresh in their minds. This is especially true both as winter is approaching and when winter is in full force. In particular, they tell laypeople to set aside a portion of their provisions to be offered up to Aurel. The faith is able to generate coin for themselves in three ways. The first is through accepting jobs and opportunities that are located in cold, wintry climates that others would think twice about taking. This usually involves delivering messages, medicines, and other needed supplies to outposts and settlements. The second source of income comes from their ability to grant protection to others as they travel and carry out various tasks in such climates. The third way is by clearing out roads and paths during the winter and in Arctic regions. These roads are not cleared out of kindness. The Aurelian faith does it so that they can enact tolls on those who use these roads. They make no secret of this and those who live here are well aware of what they are doing. However, the faithful's true and secret goal is to dominate every route in their respective regions. Each clergy member is to slay at least one creature with their cold magic during the winter. Often, this is a creature whose hide and meat can be used by other worshippers or potential worshippers. Or this creature can be a personal enemy of the faith and or a given clergy member or members. Orders and Priestly Bodies There are no formalized martial bodies in the Aurelian faith. Aurel herself has let it be known that she sees no need to organize a military body to bring to bear on those who trouble her. Instead, she would rather her clergy fulfill the same objective with blizzards and other cold magics. Chillbringers are an especially devout sect of Aurelian clergy. They live out in the Arctic climates of Faerun, serving as guides or as a source of Aurel's wrath on the Prime Material. They are a reclusive bunch, only ever really choosing to associate with the Aurelian faithful. They are a cold-hearted group, only choosing to act if coin is involved, or if a reminder of Aurel's power is needed. They are to remain in the lands north of Neverwinter, never to set foot outside. Should they do so, a Chillbringer will lose all their magical capabilities until they return. They are also forbidden from holding and wielding magical items or learning any spells that produce heat or fire. There are a handful of Aurelian offshoots from the main body of the faith. These include the Cult of Frost, a group dedicated to fighting the Ring of Winter, the Frost Witches, wizards dedicated to Aurel who have put together tomes of magic that focus on cold magics. They are said to know where the Aurelian artifact known as the Codicil White is found. This artifact will be discussed later in the podcast. Finally, these Sisters of Aetitia are an Aetitian worshipper group who see their patron deity as a servant and herald of Aurel. The Aurelian faithful have been told to see that this group are corrected in their beliefs, given that their praises only help Aetitia and not Aurel. I cannot say with any certainty whether any of these groups are still active, especially given that their last and only mention is in a 2nd edition sourcebook. And much time has passed between the Time of Troubles and the Second Sundering. Appearance and Dress The formal dress of the Aurelian clergy consists of white ceremonial robes with blue trim. A silver belt is worn about the waist to cinch the robe closed. Hanging from the silver belt is an ice axe. The ice axe bears the holy symbol on its face. Typically, the ice axe is treated like a hand axe mechanically. Completing the outfit is a silver circlet worn on the head. When adventuring, the majority of the Aurelian faithful wear the circlet, silver belt, and ice axe with their normal day-to-day clothing. Unaffected by the cold, they dress to impress rather than for the weather. This allows them to travel lightly and leave needless things like heavy blankets or coats behind.
Chillbringers, much like their fellows, wear white robes with blue trim. Their outfit differs in that they wear both a belt and bracers made from real ice. These icy pieces stay frozen until green grass comes around on the calendar. The Feast of the Moon marks the start of the winter, and this is when the Chillbringers form their new belts and bracers. Ice is taken from the Great Glacier and then carved by high-ranking Aurelian clergy members. These bracers are magical and provide defensive bonuses to the Chillbringer who wears them. Chillbringers wield enchanted daggers made of ice alongside the usual ice axe carried by Aurelian clergy. Rituals Clerics and druids dedicated to Aurel pray for their spells at midnight or whenever the temperature dips to its lowest during the day. Usually they do this while lying in the snow or wading into a cold stream, or in the summer months finding the coldest water available to them and submerging their heads. What parades are described as a ritual to Aurel that takes place in the Winter Palace Temple in Luskin? Worshippers first pack their clothing with ice. From there, they have to travel to six white pillars called the Kisses of Aurel. These pillars are not close to one another and spread out around Luskin. When they reach a given pillar, they have to say the necessary chants and prayers to Aurel. They follow that up by climbing the pillar and kissing a rusted over iron plate at the top. This is known as kissing the lady. This ritual can prove rather harmful and even fatal when it is carried out in the winter months. Thus, participants in the winter months frantically race between pillars in an attempt to complete the ritual successfully before harming themselves. The Luskin locals seem to get a kick out of this Aurelian ritual, taking bets on various aspects of the ritual. Those who manage to complete the wet parade during the winter months are thought to help shorten the winter. Thus, they are treated well by many businesses and establishments throughout Luskin. The coin that the clergy take in is offered up as an offering to Aurel often. They will scatter the coin about the snow during a snowstorm, or throw it through the cracks of ice of frozen lakes and rivers. As much a responsibility as it is a ritual, each clergy member is required to coerce or persuade a given person to pray to Aurel during the winter. Specifically, this person needs to pray outdoors and during the night. All the while, the person has a chunk of ice, just larger than their hand, touching their bare flesh. The person must keep praying until this entire piece of ice melts. Midwinter night between the months of Hammer and Elturiac is the holiest day in the Aurelian faith. A festival is held in which ice dancing is carried out. The coming and the last storm are two rituals that occur at different times during the year, but involve more or less the same procedure. The coming involves clergy summoning up a bitterly cold ice storm at the start of winter. The last storm is much the same, but instead is held at the end of winter. Usually these storms are directed to a nearby settlement. The embracing is the initiation ritual into the Aurelian clergy. The prospective individual is to try to last the night running through a blizzard. All the while this individual is dressed in only boots and thin clothing. They have the symbols of Aurel painted on their exposed skin as well. If they last the night, they are allowed into the faith. They are not allowed to use any magics to help them in this endeavor. Someone may attempt to initiate themselves into the Aurelian clergy at any time of the year, just that if it is warmer in southern regions, the prospective individual has to then travel up to Arctic environments to see the embrace through. The Northmen of the Moonshades have a unique ritual that they partake in to placate Aurel. Offerings of food and drink are placed upon a raft or small boat during the winter. The small vessel is then launched into the swells of either the Sea of Moonshay or the Trackless Sea. If the winter has been proven to be far worse than normal, the Northmen typically supplement their original offerings with a human sacrifice or two. Sacrificed human is usually taken from the prisoners or slaves. Oral's Blessed Tide is a holiday specific to Waterdeep. This holiday is celebrated to placate the Frost Maiden more than it is to give her praise. It is called for the first sign of frost in a given year. Griffin riders are sent out above the city blowing specific horns that let the city know that Oral's Blessed Tide has been called. From there... The people know to wear primarily white clothes and not to eat or serve hot food. 
Over the past two centuries, it has become tradition for young nobles and merchants to run from the North Ward through to the West Gate and out onto the West Beaches. From there, they jump into the Sea of Swords, either naked or wearing white tunics, as a way, they feel, to also appease Aurel. General Locations of Places of Worship I didn't really find any general descriptions of Aurel's places of worship. At most, I read of how several Aurelian places of worship are secreted away in the spine of the world to keep a strong grip on those small settlements found in this northern region. Regardless, I can think of several commonalities that would likely exist in Aurelian places of worship. Balloon white featuring prominently in the material used to decorate and furnish such places. Some elements, if not the very structure itself, being made of ice, snow, or some combination of both. Pelts of various arctic creatures are placed about. And decorative and ostentatious representations of Aurel's holy symbol placed throughout the structure. Specific locations of places of worship. The Winter Palace is a temple to Aurel and Luskin. This is a roofless building that contains arches and pillars carved out of white stone. The Frostbire is a slender castle made out of solid ice located in the glaciers to the northeast of Citadel Adbar. Frostbire was constructed during the 1340s Dale Reckoning to house a former high-ranking Aurelian priestess by the name of Rarel or Red Tresses, Aronthon. Redorel sought to have every Aurelian clergy member swear allegiance to her, and indeed many did. Still, there were those who defied her. In 1352 Dale Reckoning, she was killed by a fellow unknown Aurelian clergy member. Aurel seemingly thought little of or nothing of this event. No one has since tried to claim Frostbire as their own, given the tales of Rarol's bitter and powerful spirit haunting its corridors. The House of Aurel's Breath in Glister is the largest and also most influential center of worship in the Aurelian faith. Here the congregation is made up mostly of trappers and miners who participate in the nightly fire and ice rituals. Nothing more is said of what these fire and ice rituals involve. In Glister, this temple has two nicknames, the Cold House and Cold Comfort Towers. The Towers of Fury is a temple complex dedicated to all four gods of Fury in Kalimport. Istan's house is a shrine to Aurel in Nashkel. This small shrine is housed in a cabin near mountainous slopes. The clergy of Aurel here offer their protection and guidance in this cold place. It is said that those who find and take more than one coin that the clergy scatter amongst the snow and ice to appease Aurel will die the next winter from frostbite. Beneath the shop in Mirabar is a long-abandoned temple to Aurel. The dwarves and humans here have done their best to clear out any Aurelian worshippers who make their way into this temple. These Aurelians seem to be searching out something of value, equipping themselves with pry bars and pickaxes. Up in the Great Glacier, there is a crevice that leads to the frozen ruins of Gariel, an ancient city from the area when the giants ruled much of Faerun. Inside is Iroclea's likely now abandoned ice palace that she once inhabited, save perhaps for any lasting servants such as ice devils that she still might have living there. Iroclea thought herself to be the ruler of this abandoned and ruined city. The ruins are protected from the crushing and grinding movements of the great glacier by a sphere of force that surrounds it. An unnamed temple to Aurel can be found in Byzantor. Unnamed shrines to Aurel can be found in Tasseldale, Ruins of Zantel Keep, Kalant, Waterdeep, Iriabor, and Raven's Bluff. Character Options For 2nd edition, a given feature for Aurelian Crusaders in the Chillbringer Priest option can be found in the Warriors and Priests of the Realm supplement. The following is a breakdown of the features that I think someone deeply involved in Aurel's faith as an accolade or otherwise would have for a potential background to use in 5th edition. For your two skill proficiencies, their survival, intimidation, or religion. For your language or tool proficiencies, I thought about it and I know this is going to be extremely niche. Um, it's not an option in the 5th edition player's handbook as it is, but I could see a Aurelian acolyte or novice or whatever the case might be having knowledge of the use of something like ice carvers tools and then also on top of that you could take a vehicle's land for dog sleds and various things like that 
if Ice Carver's Tools isn't, well, it's far too niche for your character, I would just probably go with a language of your choice, either Infernal or Abyssal. For your equipment, there's the Acolytes from the Player's Handbook, Hermits from the Player's Handbook, though taking some of that gold for a holy symbol, and then the Outlanders as well from the Player's Handbook, again removing some of that gold for a holy symbol. For your feature or ribbon feature, there is the Acolytes Shelter of the Faithful, as always, the Hermit's Discovery, and Outlander's Wanderer, all three coming from, from the Player's Handbook. Next is a list of subclasses I would think to be thematically appropriate for an NPC or PC to take if they are a Aurelian Worshipper. For the Barbarian, there's the Path of the Berserker from the Player's Handbook, Path of the Zealot, and Path of the Storm Herald from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Cleric, there is the Nature and Tempest Domain from the Player's Handbook. For some of those prepared Nature Domain spells, you probably have to reflavor them a bit to be more kind of ice and cold-centric, but it's, it's a pretty good fit regardless. For the Druid, there's the Circle of the Land Druid, specifically one who has the Arctic region as their focus, and the Circle of the Moon Druid, both coming from the Player's Handbook. For the Fighter, there's a the Battlemaster, and Champion from the Player's Handbook, and the Cavalier Fighter who rides some Arctic Creature coming from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Paladin, there's the Oath of Vengeance Paladin from the Player's Handbook, and Oath of Conquest Paladin from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Ranger, there's the Beastmaster and Hunter from the Player's Handbook, and then the Monster Slayer and Gloomstalker from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Rogue, there is the Scout from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Sorcerer, there's the Divine Soul Sorcerer from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and the Storm Sorcerer both from Xanathar's Guide to Everything and the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. For the Wizard, there is a School of Evocation Wizard from the Player's Handbook, though specifically a wizard who primarily would cast cold-related spells, if not only cold-related spells. Dungeon Master Options as I always do to start off this section, I'd just like to touch on monsters and NPC stat blocks that would be a use to you in your games from 5th edition sources. From the monster manual, there is the Abominable Yeti, Yeti, Wormling to Ancient White Dragon, Direwolf, Water Elemental, Frost Giant, Ice Mephit, Killer Whale, Mammoth, Polar Bear, Remoraz, Young Remoraz, Sabertooth Tiger, and Winter Wolf. From Volo's Guide to Monsters, there's the Burhag and White Guard Drake. From Mordenkind's Tome of Foes, there's the Frost Salamander, Winter Eldrin, and Water Elemental Myrmidon. From Rise of Tiamat, there's the Ice Toad and Ice Troll. From Curse of Strahd, there's the Armored Sabertooth Tiger and Snow Maiden. From Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount, there's the Alawak Abominable Yeti and Alawak Yeti. Frost Giant, Zombie, and Frost Worm. From Tales from the Yawning Portal, there's the Frost Giant Servant, Giant Ice Toad, Snow Leopard, and Young Frost Giant. Finally, from Storm King's Thunder, there is the Ice Spider and Ice Spider Queen. Next, I'd just like to touch on some monsters that are appropriate to Aurel's to faith who are not currently in any 5th edition sources. Tears are a Yeti-esque creature who inhabit the mountains of Far Eastern Faerun. They have simian faces and have light blue and white skin and fur that allows them to blend into the snow and ice. They remain up in the mountains during the summer months, but come down off the slopes to raid and pillage when the weather turns cooler. Their description and features can be found in 3rd edition's supplement Unapproachable East. Winter hags are said to be the handmaidens of Aurel. Much like other hags, they are conniving, the wise creatures, and very capable spellcasters. They are fond of luring their victims into certain icy and cold hazards where they can ambush them. The 4th edition stat block for winter hags can be found in Dragon Issue 367. Next are just some NPC stat blocks that a DM can make use of to represent the various Aurelian worshippers and clergy. Keep in mind with the spellcasters, you can always swap out their list of spells for other spells more fitting to the themes you're trying to get at. For the monster manual, there's the Acolyte, Priest, Druid, Berserker, Mage, and Tribal Warrior. And from Volvo's Guide to Monsters, there's the Evoker and Arch Druid. 
Next up is a discussion of magic items that are important and specific to the Aurelian faith. The Codicil of White is a thin, tall book bound in white ermine fur placed over top two pieces of white pine. The book has a worn look given both its age and use. Within the book are 27 or 36 pages, depending on what source you go by, inked blue vellum with a silver around, the outer, around their outer edges. It is thought that this book was written by Aurelian clerics to serve as a primer on their patron goddess's worship. It contains the details and descriptions of spells related to winter, cold, frost, and the like, as well as services, prayers, and rituals important in the Aurelian faith. The holder of the codicil is said to be granted cold resistance. This book is well guarded and hidden by the Aurelian faith. It has only been seen in the possession of a couple non-followers before it was retaken by Aurelian members. At a later time, it was found that the codicil had two new pages added to it, sewn to the spine, blue in color, but lacking the silver border and written in a different hand. These two pages tell of how to increase the effectiveness of a spell known as Frostfingers. The last known holder of the codicil of white is a human female cleric of Aurel known as Sephra Windriver. She is thought to have last been seen using it in 1372 Dale Reckoning in the Cold Wood. She stole away with the codicil from her fellow Aurelians. The breakdown of the codicil white can be found in 2nd edition's supplement, Pages from the Mages, as well as in a 3rd edition online article titled Magic Books of Faerun, the codicil white, cold spells for Aurel's worst wizards. I provided the link down below in the episode description to this article. Much like the books described in the Prayers from the Faithful supplement from 2nd edition, the Silver Supplicant stretches the definition of what most would consider to be a toma or text. The supplicant is described as a sculpted silver statuette of a priestess with arms raised in prayer to Aurel. It stands at about a foot in height. The supplicant is cold to the touch and chills the air around it enough to the point that anyone exhaling near it can see their breath. Striking or dropping the statuette causes a distinctive ringing sound to be heard, though no spell or weapon has ever been able to break it. It gives off a certain metallic odor as well. The pages of the supplicant are built into the carved gown the priestess wears. By pulling on one of the pleats in the gown, the metal pages can be drawn out one at a time to read the spells engraved in small fine detail. The silver supplicant is believed to be carved in the likeness of a former priestess who brought the faith of Aurel to the southern and warm Kalanshan region back in early 12th century Dale Reckoning. The supplicant would remain in the hand of the Aurelian faith in northern Faerun until a band of adventurers claimed it. From there, it was placed in the chest of a golem and likely taken by some archmage as their own. Several fake versions of the supplicant began finding their way into the markets in 1348 Dale Reckoning, with minor enchantments placed upon them to make them seem like the real supplicant. The Aurelian faith have collected many of these fakes over the years and cling on to the hope that the real supplicant may be taken from the archmage who reportedly still has it. Though a story of a disguised woman seen raising a statuette of a very similar description leaving Waterdeep has also been heard. A further breakdown in history of the Silver Supplicant can be found in the 2nd edition supplement Prayers from the Faithful. A book known as the Revelations of the Ice Dawn is said to contain some of the most powerful prayers tied to Aurel. Its very pages are blue in color and are cold to the touch, almost as if they were made of ice. It was last and only seen when a man ran into ten towns, pursued, and eventually killed by ice devils. The ice devils seemingly made off of the book to some unknown destination. As a man lay dying, he spoke of how the book was written by Iroclea. The spells contained within the Revelations of the Ice Dawn can be found in Dragon Magazine issue 312. The Ring of Winter could be a holy item or relic of the Aurelian faith. I certainly did not find any specific passage that says it is directly tied to Aurel, though the ring is held in high regard given that some of its power was said to have been gifted from Aurel's kiss a very long time ago in Faerunian history. The details of the Ring of Winter can be found in 2nd edition's Volo's Guide to All Things Magical and 5th edition's Venture Tomb of Annihilation. Finally, we will round out the section on Dungeon Master options by touching on some magic items that are thematically appropriate 
and found in official 5th edition sources that I feel the Faith Auril may have access to. From the Dungeon Master's Guide, plus one to plus three hand axes, which can serve flavorfully as ice axes, armor of cold resistance, belt of frost giant strength, boots of the winterlands, frost brand, mace of terror, potion of cold resistance, potion of frost giant strength, ring of cold resistance, staff of frost, wand of fear, and white dragon scale mail. From Storm King's Thunder, there's the Shard of the Ice Rune. From Tales from the Young Portal, there's a White Dragon Cape. From Rise of Tiamat, there's a White Dragon Mask. From Waterdeep, a Dungeon of the Mad Mage, there's the Shield of the Uven Rune. From Curse of Straw, there's Jakarion's Staff of Frost. From the Horde of the Dragon Queen, there's the Wand of Winter. Finally, from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, there's the Boots of False Tracks. Alright, thank you for listening to Religion in the Realms. If you are interested in keeping up with the release of future episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and follow the podcast where account at Realms Religion. These episodes are also uploaded to YouTube as well. Audio versions of the podcast can also be found on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Podcasts. If you wish to get in touch with me with any questions or just want to chat, my personal Twitter is at ShivsEmbrace, or you can send an email to realmsreligion at gmail.com, all in lowercase letters. For those interested, I have posted a link in the video description to a Discord server I have set up. For audio listeners, you can find a link to the invite pinned on the podcast Twitter page. In the next episode, we will be turning our attention to potentially the current leader of the Gods of Fury, Talos, the greater god of storms and destruction. Until next time, may Timora look kindly upon your dice rolls, Helm protect you, and Lathander light your path. Music for this episode, Malicious, by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0.